I've never been artistic. Back in the day, my mom would take me to the High Museum. It's a art gallery in the city of Atlanta. And we would go and look at different paintings. And she would stand in front of paintings and she would just cry. She would look at these paintings with random colors and just cry. And I would sit behind her, bored and honestly a little annoyed. But there's been a few paintings that have grabbed my heart, like one that was painted in 1669 by a guy named Rembrandt. It's an oil painting, and it's an interesting picture. There's a couple different individuals. It seems like a, a father that's kind of the main object in the, the painting, and he's an older gentleman with a long beard, and he has his hands kind of draping over what seems to be his son. His son is in wretched condition. You can tell he smells raggedy clothes. He's got dirty feet, a shoe on, and a shoe off. And then you can see it looks like maybe someone who's a part of the family that's kind of looking over the shoulder of the father, uh, maybe in disappointment of this individual that the father's caring for. You know, there's something about the father in this painting that moves me. There's something about the father that meets me in my brokenness. This painting is called The Return of the Prodigal Son. My name is Ernie. And my name is Stephen, and this is Devout an invitation to pause and set our minds on things above. So Jesus starts this parable where the son comes to his dad with a bold and really insulting request. And that is, dad, go ahead and give me my share of the inheritance. And what he's basically saying to his dad is, dad, you're dead to me. I don't need you anymore. And surprisingly, the dad agrees and gives him his share of the inheritance. The son then runs off and squanders all of his money in wild and extravagant living and pretty quickly finds himself in trouble. The country he's in is in a famine. He's run out of money. He's out of food. He's hired himself out as a servant to feed some pigs. And he finds himself really jealous of the pigs because they have food that he wants to feed his empty stomach. So he's hit absolute rock bottom. And some of you may relate 100% with his story. Maybe there was a time when you ran away from God as hard and as fast as you could and you hit rock bottom, you came to your senses and you came back to God. Some of you may be running now and others may be thinking, well, you know, I kind of relate, but I never really went that wild. But I would argue that it doesn't really matter how closely you relate to the younger brother. We all struggle with the core challenge here, which is really self-reliance. We have to push against that self-reliance and push against that mindset that says, I've got this. I don't need your help. I think back to when my kids were much younger, maybe two or three, and you know, trying to learn how to ride a bike and almost saying to dad, dad, take your hands off. I got this. I don't need your help. You know, we need a realistic view of ourselves and our need for grace to push against that self-reliance. If we think, well, I didn't go off the deep end like that guy did. Well, then we may have a cheaper view of God's grace. When we think we're a lot closer to the father's house, then we think I'm almost there. I can get back on my own. And again, that self-reliance prevents us from seeing his grace prevents us from seeing his desire to reunite with us. And if we don't understand his grace and his desire, then it's a lot easier next time to fall away when the next temptation comes along. I'm trying to imagine if I was the father and I heard this request that you're talking about, I wish you were dead to me. I can't imagine how I would feel besides being deeply offended, deeply angry, sad at the thought that my son would see me in this way, rather having my good than having me. And yet the way the father responds in this story is so incredible. As we pick up the story, we find that as the son puts together this speech that he's going to submit to his father, I can't be your son because I've already rejected you as my father, but I want to be your servant. 
And as he's preparing, memorizing this speech on the way back to his father's house, the father sees him far off and he runs after him. The owner of this great, magnificent estate, he shows his emotion and he chases after him and he grabs him, he throws him to the ground and he kisses him. He then offers him a robe saying that you are fully restored into my family. Never waiting for the son to get his life fixed. He smells and he looks ridiculous, but the father, he embraces him. And then he, man, he slaughters that calf, super expensive in that day, only for very rare occasions. And he throws an incredible party. Here's the point. I mean, God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of sin and wrongdoing. See, it's our call to receive it and fight to believe it above the voices of shame. We have these voices so regularly in our lives where we're told that we're not good enough. We're told that our past ruins us. We're told that our past defines us. We're told all these kind of things in our minds. But as we look at this story, which is a very small depiction of, of what we see in the gospel, that there's no one too far from the wrath-absorbing love of Jesus. That's what prodigal grace is. That's what this story is about. See, there's something in us as humans that keeps us clinging to our sins and prevents us from letting God erase our past and offer us a completely new beginning. That's what this father offers in this story. That's what Jesus offers us today. There's some really solid truth in what you just said. And I think about those truths and how to put them into practice. I think of a couple of questions that come to mind. And one is, what can we do to come to our senses more quickly? You know, before we've asked for our inheritance, burned through it all, and we're stealing slop from pigs. And I think part of that answer is in Psalm 62, where the psalmist is really preaching to himself, saying, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. Part of it as well is remembering the words of Paul to know and rely on the love God has for us, not to rely on ourselves. And then part of it is, like you were saying, to remember our identity as sons, adopted into to God's family, relinquishing our shame. And part of it is to remember our identity as sons adopted into God's family, pushing against the shame of our brokenness. You know, another question I think about is that sometimes we feel like a repeat offender and we wonder, hey, is the father still going to run out to meet me when he and I both know we've been through this dance many times before? You know, this parable captures a really powerful story of a dramatic turnaround but it's also one single turnaround. Sometimes we think of Saul's dramatic turnaround on the road to Damascus, but we overlook Paul's recurring struggles that he describes as the thorn in his flesh. And so how should we view God's heart when we think about the repeat offender? And I think we have to remember that God's heart is the same. His compassion never fails. His mercies are new every morning. The key for us is to continue to come home to continue to look for happiness and fulfillment in the Father's embrace. Hey guys, this is the 10th episode, and we just wanted to say thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. We would love your feedback if you have a minute, but uh, we just appreciate you guys, and uh, we'll see you next time.